Hi, friends, and thanks for downloading today's From the Top podcast. I'm your host, Peter Dugan, here to remind you that From the Top is a small, independent, nonprofit organization. If you like what you hear today, please consider making a contribution to our efforts at fromthetop.org. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy the show. From NPR, it's From the Top, celebrating the power of music in the hands of America's kids. Hello, friends. I'm pianist Peter Dugan, and a big welcome to you all. One of the things that I love about sharing From the Top's young musicians with all of you week after week is enjoying the totally refreshing way that they perceive classical music. Their unfiltered takes and early impressions of the art form, both its challenges and the things that we all treasure about it. Like on today's show, we're going to meet a young marimbist, and he unexpectedly discovered more about his Mexican-American culture through a youth orchestra experience. And then we're going to have the fun of doing a David Letterman-like list with a fantastic teenage violinist from Cincinnati, his five reasons to love classical music. And our first performer, the 16-year-old violist Emily Huang, has beautiful things to say about music's power to take us out of the everyday. We'll let Emily transport us right now. Here she is performing the first movement of the F minor viola sonata, opus 120, number one, by Johannes Brahms. Kim Lee is at the piano. Thank you. 
We heard 15-year-old violist Emily Huang from Palo Alto, California, perform the first movement of the Viola Sonata No. 1 in F minor, opus 120, by Johannes Brahms. And Kim Lee joined her at the piano. Emily, what an incredibly deep and powerful performance of that piece. Your playing is so soulful. Uh, every note, you, you bring such wonderful color to it. Uh, I, I can't congratulate you enough. Thank you so much. I have to say right now we are Zooming, right? I'm, I'm kind of virtually joining your recording session. You're in San Francisco. I'm in New York. But it's like no big deal. I mean, during the past year and a half, we've all become so much more used to this kind of thing. And talk about the online program, the appetizer sessions that you got to do recently. Yeah, um, the violist Nobuko Imai, she made a program where she would um, give 15-minute lessons to uh-huh. um, violists around the world. So, we, but she was she was in Switzerland. Yeah. So, <laughs> in my time, it was like three a.m. when I was doing the lesson with her. Wow. So, what did that night look like for you with the three a.m. master class or or lesson? Well, I went to bed very early at like ten, and then I woke uh-huh. up at around two to practice for the lesson, <laughs> and then I had the wow. lesson at three. Yeah. And then when you woke up the next morning, was it all like, was it just a dream? It did kind of feel like that. Yeah, I bet. Well, speaking of global, I understand that you've actually found a way to use music to raise money for people in Cambodia. What was that and how did it all come about? So it's this thing called the Nanum Benefit Concerts. And the first cause was the Cambodia Well Project, which was to raise money to um, make wells in Cambodia so that um, they could have clean, cleaner water. I got to um, see like pictures of the effect we were having and learn more about mm. the causes that we were supporting. And I think through that, it became um, more special to me. And, and the group also focuses on raising money for local organizations as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in 2020, we raised money for um, California fire relief because mm. of the um, just devastating wildfires there. Yes. And we have also raised money for the COVID-19 relief by the Red Cross. So, of course, you understand how much music can help others. But I'm curious, how would you say music helps you? Um, for me, I would say music is kind of a way to... Um, escape from the real world and um, mm-hmm. um, I really like to be lost in the music and sort of um, be carried by it because um, in the modern world we're very present all the time and we're kind of expected to do things all the time and um, I think music is sort of a way to get away from all that. Mm. I I just want to say thank you for providing all of us with a little bit of that kind of escape today with that performance of the Brahms. Thank you. Emily Wong, 15 years old from Palo Alto, California. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you subscribe to From the Top's podcast, you can download whatever episodes you want and listen on demand. They're available at fromthetop.org. For the last 15 years, From the Top and the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation have awarded over $3 million in scholarships to talented young musicians who have financial need. We still have more to give. Go to fromthetop.org to learn more. Peter. Well, we're going to move now from the rich, deeply emotional world of Johannes Brahms 
to the world of whimsy, to the land of the fickle and the flighty. We're going to hear Edward Elgar's piece for violin titled La Capricieuse, performed by 18-year-old violinist Yvette Kraft. The pianist is Amy Chu. Listen to the upbeat way that Yvette describes playing this little confection. I sent actually a pretty big repertoire list, um, and when they chose this one for you to play, I was like, yes, I get to bring this back. I've played this um, quite a few times before, and it always is just so much fun to, to play. And um, there's so much room for feeling the spirit of the moment. Like, you know, if you just want to take a little more time, there's so much room for that in this piece. And you can just, you know, feel the acoustics, feel the, you know, mood of the audience or wherever, whatever you're doing and just tweak it a little bit and just get it just, just right. So much fun.
That was Le Capricieuse by Edward Elgar, performed by 18-year-old violinist Yvette Kraft from Seattle, Washington, and Amy Chu joined her at the piano. Wow, Yvette, what a delightful performance. That was absolutely charming from start to finish. And can I just say, your staccato is ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, yeah, oh my gosh. just so much fun to do. Well, it was stunning. And, uh, you know, playing a piece like that with such style and flair... Uh, you make it sound effortless, but I have to say that I read that it wasn't so long ago that you had to totally rebuild your technique as a violinist. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, what happened with that, and, and what exactly were you rebuilding? Well, so 2015, I got um, tendonitis in my right elbow, and that was mm. kind of the start of it being brought to my awareness that something needed to change in my technique, and it was really hard because it was just so much technical focus and actually before then I'd never even thought that much about my technique um but you know at one point I was just doing like Suzuki book one perpetual motion for like a month what was going through your mind during that month of practicing your scales and your Suzuki yeah oh oh man there was a lot of um considering why to be a violinist in the first place I mean no, I got I got through it eventually just remembering why I do music, the bigger picture of why mm. music is important, why the violin is something worthwhile to pursue, um, how much it impacts people, the, the beauty of music. Um, just thinking about all those things was so helpful, along with the support from my family. My family was always there to remind me <laughs> to look ahead, to think about how important this will be for, you know, playing playing without pain, playing without injuries. No, I, I got yeah. through it, um, and yeah, I'm so, so glad I did. Well, it's so interesting for me to hear about how you got into the trenches of violin technique, because you told from the top that you try to cultivate, and I believe I'm quoting you here, an unviolinist mindset. What is that all about? Yeah, so um, especially when I started you know, playing for my friends or playing for people at retirement homes or, or whatever it may be, people who you know, don't really necessarily care I guess about you know just whether it's technically right on um they just want to hear beautiful music and so I had to realize that yep. if I can make it sound beautiful to them that's when I succeed um mm -hmm. I just have to make sure always that I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who's just ready to experience something beautiful not just witness violin technicality absolutely uh, you're obviously very passionate about about the power of music, about how to express music. You're also a strong believer in the power of um, yummy, delicious, and maybe not nutritious sweets. <laughs> oh my goodness, boy, am I, yes. <laughs> you create classical music-themed smoothies, or at least you did once. Yep, I, I do. Um, my creation is called the Shasti Frosty. And this was born because um, this was like height of quarantine. I had just finished a biography of Shostakovich, Symphony for the City of the Dead. It's quite a quite a serious themed book, but 
but wow. Right, it doesn't exactly you... call to mind frozen desserts, but... No, no, but um, the two linked pretty easily. You know, I would make it after dinner, go. and we'd be talking about Shostakovich during dinner. It was like, why don't we just call this the Shosty Frosty? <laughs> the Shosty Frosty. Well, I think it's great, and, uh, you know, it's got me thinking... I could, if you, if you, you know, are willing to go in on a, like a business together, I could supply a couple of other ideas for you. Um, have you thought about, for example, a sarasate latte? Oh my gosh! I right. That, you know, that's a pun worth punning. Um, what about this one? What about this one? A brookie cookie for Max Brook. <laughs> nice. A brookie nice. cookie. Nice. That one's pretty. That good. is great. Okay, I got one more for you. Ready? Yes. A Chopani flani, like oh a flan. Gosh. Right? Okay, mm. fine. I have one. You want one more? Fine. A Dvorjaki snacky. Wait, you kind of have to pronounce it differently. A Dvorjaki snacky. Or just yep. a Dvorjak snack. That's pretty good. Yeah. A Dvorjak that, that's snack. Easy. That one. Mm. Anyway, well, as delicious as all of that sounds, uh, I do hope that, Yvette, you will pursue music because, gosh, you play so beautifully. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. Yvette Kraft, 18 years old, from Seattle, Washington. I'm pianist Peter Dugan, and I ask you now to travel with me to the windy city of Chicago. That's where 16-year-old Kevin Reyes calls home. And since about the age of five, he's been hitting things. Yes, but in a very musical way. That is to say, he's a fantastic percussionist. And we're going to hear him demonstrate that skill right now on the marimba with a piece inspired by Astor Piazzolla. This is Libertango, Variations on Marimba by Eric Samut.
16-year-old percussionist Kevin Reyes from Chicago, Illinois, performed Libertango, Variations on Marimba, written by Eric Samut. Kevin is a member of the Percussion Scholarship Group, as well as a Jack Kent Cook Young Artist. And Kevin, uh, I was so blown away by what you just did. I mean, this, of course, is based on Astor Piazzolla's very famous Libertango, but in your hands, it just becomes this virtuosic, perpetual motion, and you just made it sparkle. Bravo. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Like many musicians, you were first exposed to music through the church. What led you to get into percussion? Yeah, so at the age of five, um, I was introduced into the choir, um, thanks to my mom, actually, because my mom was playing mandolin there. And um, thankfully, there was a drum set player that was in the choir. His name was Ermelindo. And um, I, to this day, I have no clue what's, what's, what's up with him, what's been going on, because we just lost contact. But, you know, he was the mm. main reason why I started um, drum set uh, because I remember I used to sit next to him during church. I would just look over his shoulder and and look at the way he would play and accompany the the choir. And so he kind of motivated me to start learning the drum set more and get more serious about percussion. Wow. Well, I think it's pretty cool that you just gave him a shout out on National Public Radio. Do you remember your first time performing in church? <laughs> yeah, of course I remember my first time. So something that me and him worked on was. He made me sing Our Father and play it on the drum set at the same time. And I was five years old at the time. And I was very wow. scared. And I remember um, when I performed it, it didn't really come out as I wanted it to. And I remember I, I just left. Like, I didn't even bow to the crowd. I just left running, running away. And I started crying. And, and my mom catched up to me and she said, Kevin, you did such a great job. Don't worry. Um, I'll buy you pizza when I get home. And then I said, pizza? And <laughs> she was like, yeah, pizza. And I was like, okay, I, I feel better now. <laughs> That's the best. Parents are the best for that. So music has been in your life since you were five. But I read that it was actually a recent summer experience that sort of proved to you that you wanted to do music for the rest of your life. Can you talk a little bit about what happened there and what it changed in you? Yeah, so this summer I had the opportunity to be part of the National Youth Orchestra too, and it was a very life-changing experience that I had because before coming into the program, I was still skeptical about whether I should go into music in the future or not. You know, I was still having doubts about myself, but then after being part of this wonderful experience, I, I just really fell in love with everyone there and music in general, and I said, you know what? I want to spend the rest of my life doing music because I don't see myself doing anything uh, other than music. Well, it sounds like NYO was a catalyst for you as a musician, but I know it also brought you a little closer to your own heritage. How did that happen? NYO in general was a very diverse program. Um, I, I got to meet friends from, from all different types of Latin backgrounds. And I myself, I come from a Mexican culture. So I did meet some people that also came from my same mm -hmm. culture. And um, there was a piece that we played. Um, it, was by, it was by Juan Pablo Contreras, a very famous Mexican composer. And his piece was Maria Chitlan. And, you know, you really don't see mm -hmm. Mexican music in the classical music um, area. And, um, you know, the piece is called Maria Chitlan. So uh, it's going to sound very mariachi to you. And, you know, I grew up. Um, listening to mariachi. It, it originated in Guadalajara, 
um, the bands. And mm-hmm. if you if you ever go there, you know you're gonna see a bunch of mariachi battles going down in the streets. And uh, it, it's it's a very <laughs> cool it's a very cool um, it's a very cool image to see. And and yeah, I, I got very close to my to my heritage um, while I was over there because uh, it made me feel proud to to come from where I come from. You know. I love that your musical identity is so steeped in the music of your Mexican heritage. Do you feel like that's going to continue to play a role in your own voice as an artist? Yes, I feel like that culture will always be my driving force, will will remain as my driving force, because I feel like it's always important to know where you came from, and it's always important to have that as a priority in everything that you're doing. Well, it's just been so great to get to know you, and I look forward to seeing how your love for your culture and music continues to shape you as you grow. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you. I appreciate it. Kevin Reyes, 16 years old, from Chicago, Illinois. Daily Joy. Couldn't we all use a bit of daily joy in our daily routines? Well, if you sign up for From the Top's Daily Joy video series, you'll have incredibly joyful, minute-long music videos delivered to you daily. Sign up at fromthetop.org and cheer up. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. From the Jack Kent Cook Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need, jkcf.org. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. From NPR, it's From the Top, celebrating the power of music in the hands of America's kids. Coming up, one of Debussy's most evocative works for solo piano, performed by a 15-year-old from Louisville, Kentucky. Her in-person work in Louisville this week is hosted by 90.5 WUOL Classical Louisville. From the Top's host, pianist Peter Dugan, is sponsored by Susan and Gerald Slavitt. Special thanks this week to Yamaha Artist Services for providing the Yamaha CFX Concert Grand Piano heard in the next performance on this program. Pianist Peter Dugan here. I'm guessing most of you know that William Grant still is considered one of the towering figures of the Harlem Renaissance in the early 20th century. A composer of nearly 200 works, he wrote his famous suite titled Three Visions in 1935. We're going to hear the second part of that suite now called Summerland, And our performer is a very expressive 17-year-old violinist from Cincinnati, Maxwell Fairman. 
I had the great pleasure of collaborating with Maxwell at the piano.
William Grant Stills' Summerland from his collection Three Visions, performed by 17-year-old violinist Maxwell Fairman from Cincinnati, Ohio. Peter Dugan here, and I was at the piano, and what a pleasure it was, Maxwell. You play that piece with such nuance, such sensitivity to every harmonic shift and arc of the melody. Uh, that was a true joy. Oh, thank you. Now, as you know, Maxwell, every young performer who comes on From the Top has an extensive phone interview with us before recording. And during yours, we were struck by the wonderful way that you were able to articulate just why classical music is so great. And so we're going to call this part of the show Maxwell Fairman's Five Reasons to Love Classical Music. Reasons, reasons, reasons to love classical Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I love it. I'm just going to be listening to that all day long. (laughs) Okay, here's how the game works. I'm going to read you quotes that you yourself have said about why you love classical music. And then when I say go, you have 20 seconds to explain that quote. Ready? Yeah. Okay, reason one. You learn so much about people's insights and choices. Go. So, when I'm playing chamber music with other people, everyone comes in with their own ideas of how they want to interpret something. And if I agree with what they're saying, then it really helps me interpret whatever I'm going to be playing. And I also get to learn uh, information about the pieces, and I just have a new way to approach. Okay, time's up. That was very nice. Well done. Reason number two. The lives and experiences of composers. Go. Uh, So for the piece that I just played, Summerland, uh, I learned that William Grant still was in interracial marriage uh, at the time that he wrote the piece. And it turned out that it was illegal to marry interracially uh, where he was living at the time. So he had to travel all the way to Tijuana, Mexico to get married. Oh, time is up. But I have a feeling we're going to come back to that later because I want to hear more. Okay, reason number three. All the tiny details you can listen to and work on. Go. Uh, So my teacher, Miss Vamos, and I, sometimes we would spend uh, just the entire, like, one-hour lesson on just the first line of the piece. And there are just so many different things that you can look for, such as the articulation or the phrasing or the timing or your intonation or the type of vibrato that you want to use and how you want to vary it. Very nice. Time is up. Reason number four, the different styles within the genre. Go. So one of my favorite recordings to listen to of all time is So Young Yoon with the Korean Chamber Orchestra, and she's playing Piazzolla's Estaciones Porteñas. And I just love how he combines tango, jazz, and classical to make something that's just completely different and really fun to listen to. And it's always one of the first recordings I recommend to people. And our final reason, playing for Michelle Obama. Oh, yes. Go. Uh, So I looked up to Michelle Obama my whole life uh, after uh, I knew that they were running for president. So I was around four at the time. And I just love that all the work that she's done for the country and that she's the first African-American first lady. So to be able to meet her in person and watch her speak for a few minutes while her hand was on my shoulder. And uh, at the end, uh, it went pretty well. So we got a standing ovation. All right. I mean, that is just like, that must have been the coolest experience. Time's up, and that's the end of our five reasons game. But honestly, you are way too interesting to be fit into a game like that. I want to hear more about Michelle Obama. Uh, Well, we were at the White House, uh, thanks to the Sphinx organization. 
because they were received an award for their work in increasing diversity in the classical music field. Uh, so when we got onto the stage, uh, we took forever to tune because we were nervous. Uh, at the end, Michelle Obama walked onto the stage. Uh, she put her hand on my shoulder and then she began talking. She talked about how there are plenty of other kids who were just like us, but the talent is bottled up inside because people aren't willing to invest the resources. Uh, I just thought it was a really powerful message. and. Yeah. I hope to be doing more work so that more kids can be playing like me in the future. Wow. Congrats to you and to the Sphinx organization for, you know, taking what Michelle Obama was saying there and actually putting it into practice. Earlier in the game, you talked about how you love learning about the lives of composers and specifically the composer of this piece, William Grant Still. Uh, I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that because you were saying some fascinating stuff. Oh, yes. He wrote the piece, to, I believe, for his wife, and they were in interracial marriage, and it was illegal in California where they were living. Mm. And uh, when he wrote the piece, he wanted to look at how people are being judged outside of their race uh, in the afterlife. So uh, the entire Three Vision Suite is about the souls after somebody dies. I believe the first movement is about the souls leaving the body, but the second movement, which we play, the Summerland, is about uh, souls going up to heaven for a judgment. It's so nice to hear that backstory because obviously when I hear you perform the music, it's so peaceful and tranquil. And just hearing you describe it in that way gives it that extra depth and richness to it. I just want to thank you for your great sense of humor earlier with our game, but also more importantly for just bringing so much poetry to that performance. And thanks for being with us. Uh, well, thanks for playing with me and thanks for inviting me on the show. Maxwell Fairman, 17 years old from Cincinnati, Ohio. The young performers on our show are so impressive, sometimes you've just got to see it to believe it. And that's pretty easy to do, actually. Just go to fromthetop.org and check out all the fun video we put out every week. Not only do we have photos and video of our young players making radio with us, we've got our Daily Joy video series, virtual concerts, raucous pop music covers, and more. That's at fromthetop.org. Peter Dugan here, and I met our final performer of the show right in his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. His name is Ryan Schuring, and at the age of just 15, he takes on one of Debussy's most sweeping and expansive works for solo piano. This is Ryan's performance of Debussy's Lille Joyeuse.
L'Ile Joyeuse by Claude W.C., performed by 15-year-old pianist Ryan Shuring from Louisville, Kentucky. What a brilliant performance, Ryan. I thought that you brought so much sparkle to every single flourish in that piece. It's like I could see and feel the waves splashing up against this island or against the boat on the way to the island, as it were. Thank you. This piece is such a technical workout for any pianist. But I'm curious for you, Ryan, could you talk about what you find most challenging in this piece? Because I think that a lot of people wouldn't even consider some of these nuances when they hear it. Um, For me, the most difficult part of playing this piece is um, the dynamic contrast in playing soft enough. Mm. There's a balance between playing really soft which is necessary at a lot of points in this piece, and making sure the the notes sound. So if you play too soft, the notes will not sound. But if you play too loud, then you won't even be following the score. Yeah, one thing that I always like to think about is that when, when the fingers are the source of the sound, sometimes it's less reliable. But when the arm weight and the weight of our body is behind the sound, then we have more control. It's sort of this paradox where if you only rely on the fingers... Uh, you're less likely to have a reliable sound. So even when you need something soft, you got to put weight in it. One of the things that's not so difficult for us pianists is finding great repertoire to play. So much has been written for the piano, and I know that you have loved collecting sheet music since, like, when? Really ever since I was little. How big would you say your sheet music collection has gotten at this point? I probably have, like, 200 books. Wow. What is it for you that keeps you wanting to have these hard copies on your shelves? Well, really, I like the hard copies because you keep using them. Unlike with the tablet, you there might not be markings that you had before. But with a book, all the, like, the markings that your teacher writes and that you write and your old teachers write, they all stay there, so... Right. You can see all those. And even, like, if it's even, like, ripped or bent... Mm-hmm. then it's like you had it for a really long time and it's kind of well I guess it just shows that you've had experience with the piece yeah Um, I love that it's you know sort of romantic in a way to want to hang on to these physical copies because there's so much memory and personal meaning actually in the music itself and would you say your happiest times at the piano are when you're alone with your sheet music? Or do you really love competition and performing on stage a bit more? I would say that my happiest times at the piano are when I'm just alone, um, and especially when I'm learning a new piece. Hmm. When you, Even just when you open the new sheet music book yeah. to look at it, it's just exciting to look at all the new music, even if you know that in the future you're going to have to spend a lot of time working really hard on it. But learning a new piece is especially great because you don't really have to focus on all the details at first. You just have right. to read through it and you can really enjoy it. Yeah, it's not about perfection at all. It's kind of, It reminds me of like exploring you know, uncharted territory. Well, I think that even in that very polished, refined performance of the Debussy, you still brought that excitement and that feeling of fresh adventure and exploration. Bravo. Thank you. 
Ryan Shuring, 15 years old, from Louisville, Kentucky. Well, that's all we have for you today, folks. I want to thank all the young performers we've met on the program, not only for sharing their music with us today, but also for sharing their humanity. And to you, listening in the kitchen, or just before bed, or bumping along on a bus, thanks for joining us. I'm pianist Peter Dugan. Please join us next week for more inspiration on From the Top. From the Top is written and produced by Tim Banker, with post-production mastering and editing by senior producer Tom Vagley. Our music director is Megan Swan, and the production manager is Matt Dykeman. David Norville is assistant producer. Sound design and editing by John Escobar. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. I'm Joanne Robinson. Special thanks to Daniel Gilliam at 90.5 WUOL Classical Louisville as well as Yamaha Artist Services for providing the Yamaha CFX Concert Grand Piano heard in the performance of William Grant Still's Summerland on this program. Today's program received engineering support from Eric Matthews at WUOL, Chris Greenwell at Downtown Recording, Louisville, Vijay Telesnayak at Transient Sound, Chicago, Illinois, and Tom Disher at Disher Sound in San Francisco, California. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Volgenau Foundation, supporting programs that protect the environment, educate children, and promote classical music. From Indeed, a hiring platform that connects businesses with candidates. Indeed partners with businesses to help attract, screen, and interview from one place. More at indeed.com hire. And from the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing transformative youth and criminal justice reforms. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org.